our mission. To chart the stars. Push the boundaries of what is known. And what is possible. I'm standing on the surface of a comet. I love this job. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Nash Carnegie, and with me, dragging Una away to a Starfleet jail is... Bill Woywad. Emily Bowen Marler. I'm never dragging Una off to a jail. I'd <laughs> <laughs> fight the other, off, uh, the other security guards and get shot. <laughs> this is Rudy Baker. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today, we've got a recap of the first season of Strange New Worlds uh, to share with you. Make sure to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <clears throat> and tell your friends about us. You know, we'd like more people to listen. And you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, maybe. Another way to kind of let people know about us. Bump us up on the feed. And uh, just a fair spoiler warning. We will obviously spoil this episode. Other parts of, uh, well, not this, uh, not this episode, this entire season. So if you haven't watched uh, the season, maybe it's a good idea to breeze through those episodes, uh, binge and not cringe. Great season. Um, And uh, yeah, other parts of Star Trek, sci-fi and general media. Uh, You have been warned. All right. Well, the first season of Strange New Worlds was created by Akiva Goldsman, Alex Kurtzman and Jenny Lumet. It originally aired between 5th of May 2022 and uh, was it last Thursday? So that would be uh, July 7th, 2022. Only 10 short episodes, my friends. I was very disappointed that we didn't get more. But uh, don't want to spoil my rating for any of you. <laughs> we always start by discussing our strange new takes. So which of you have a strange new take for me? So got, I don't know. Oh, go, go ahead, Emily. Oh, oh. I don't know if you all have this experience, but um, you know, I, it seems to me whenever I travel, I end up looking at like the real estate in the area and figuring out if I can move to that location. Mm. <laughs> so we were in Cape Cod this past weekend, and I've determined I I cannot relocate to Cape Cod. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it would be nice to. We were like, maybe we could retire there, because you know our house will be paid off and. Maybe we could buy a teeny house in Cape Cod. I don't know. But anyway, it was very beautiful. And it was Ganges season, which I love. How about this? Ganges. A house <laughs> in St. Paul and a little A-frame cabin by a tiny lake in Minnesota. It's like Cape Cod, I promise. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Do they have hydrangeas <laughs> everywhere? That was probably my favorite thing about Cape Can Cod. be arranged. I have hydrangeas in my rain garden. See? Done. <laughs> I have a lame question. Was Cape Fear shot at Cape Cod? Wasn't it North Carolina? I have no idea, but if, if yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where Cape Fear was shot, but I, for some reason, I feel like that was like, like south of there. But anyway, I don't know. But I'd never been to the East Coast. Well, I'd never been to New England before, really. Like, I guess. Well, I guess oh. I worked a summer in the Adirondacks, but like, I just saw base, basically that little part of New York. So this was kind of cool. I got to see a whole bunch of the East Coast, and it was cool. Amazing. Any Star Trek strange new take? 
This was the best first season of any Star Trek ever in the history of Star Trek. That is my strange new take. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We said strange new take, not the most controversial thing anyone has ever said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, I can share my strange new takes. Uh, For those of uh, our listeners who don't already know, there's a subreddit called Star Trek GIFs, which is what it sounds like and is definitely worth like a good five or 10 minutes. Um, uh, Yeah. Echo what Emily said, although I'm still bitter about Hammer. (laughs) Yeah, that was disappointing. Is that the subreddit that, uh, you know, um, invented all those inappropriate Spock uh, greetings? Um, Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Which did not include live long and prosper and the normal Vulcan peace, whatever. Welcome sign. (laughs) Um, I'll go next. Um, So um, I managed to restart playing golf um, over the last few weeks. Um, I I, I have not shared a thank to... Doing the initial restart, I hadn't played for a decade plus, and I was too afraid I'd uh, hurt myself, hurt other people, all that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but I, I happened to play a, a nice round of golf um, when I was vacationing in Hawaii. I got up the courage to do that. Um, and and this weekend, uh, uh, it was, I think, by now would have finished. I haven't watched it. So don't spoil it for me. It's called The, the Open, uh, which is essentially the British Open, but since it's like, the first one, I guess they call it the open. Um, so that took me took me back to the days I used to watch golf, which was fun. And then I tried to connect that to Star Trek. Um, and I didn't quite remember much except, I didn't look this up, so maybe there's more, but except one hollow suite uh, session that um, uh, Bashir and the good chief engineer were coming out of in golfing gear. And they were playing at St. Andrews. Does that ring a bell? It does not. I don't ever remember golf. Or did I just make that up in my head? I think you might, be, think you might be making it up, my friend. Uh, putting Star Trek golf into memory alpha. Oh, the only time there's been golf is uh, the doctor held up a go- 24th century golf I, club. Yes, wow. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Which doctor? Tea time at, the doctor Voyager. from Voyager. Oh, doctor. Okay. Had a tea time at St. Andrews. So there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's yeah, no O'Reilly and Bashir. Well, that could be an episode. O'Brien and Bashir. Oh, sorry. No, O'Reilly. no bad. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Well, um, I'm surprised Rudy didn't do anything with the James Webb, James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. Yes. He saw uh, you. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very crisp images. And it's really cool. There was a guy on Reddit who decided to compare images from Hubble to images of... James Webb, you could like do a little slider to show, and it's kind of like someone with a cataract getting new lenses, <laughs> and you basically everything just becomes crisper and clearer. It's really cool. I, I highly recommend it. And it kind of blows your mind to have to think about just how long ago the images that we're watching, how long ago the light from for them left their galaxies. It like kind of boggles the mind. It's I mean it's mm. billions of years, right? Um, so. 
there was also a I'll, I'll plug another podcast I listened to called In Our Time. It's it's a very very nerdy British podcast where a historian brings together three other like Oxford Cambridge level academics from England to talk about a very nerdy subject. Like a few weeks ago, it was the death of stars, and so listening to that and then looking at the James Webb images was really incredible. Um, because it kind of gives you context for what we're learning. And one thing I'll mention is that the universe is ever expanding. Um, so, and, and they figured it out by by looking at some of the images from telescopes like the James Webb. So um, check it out. I, I highly recommend looking at those images and listening to that episode. Well, with Star it's, Trek- well, well, hold on. It's expanding and the expansion is accelerating. That's the, that's the most yeah. recent discovery, which means that in a few gazillion years, everything will be so far away and, and nobody will be able to see anything. Yeah, yeah that's what the burn should have been about. <laughs> the big anyway. crunch. Yeah. Um, well, a hard so... right instead of a hard left. <laughs> hard left. Uh, yeah. Good point. I've forgotten about that. Uh, well, anyway, one other thing. I finally subjected my partner to her first Star Trek yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, Star Trek 2009. There was genuine resistance for a few weeks. I think she just didn't want to, like, be disappointed and then not be able to share it with me or something. That's the benign way of looking at it. Did you see so, resistance is futile before you showed it to her? I should have, but she wouldn't have got it. She wouldn't have got it. Um, so I finally did start. I, I had a lot of choices. I was like, Strange New Worlds, First Contact, Star Trek 2009, something else. I decided on Star Trek 2009. I was like, all right, this is the Star Trek for the, you know, mainstream. Let's go with that. And number one, she liked it. So hooray. I can at least there's going to be a second Star Trek viewing with her, which is great. Don't but make it me, into darkness, though. Uh, no, we're going straight to beyond. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I already let her know that there's an in- Benedict Cumberbatch playing an Indian man in the next one, and we're not watching it, so. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe part of the reason why no, people, no, especially no, women, no. like Star Trek when you start them off with 2009 is you have Hemsworth at the helm. Helmsworth, um, and mm-hmm. then and then and then Chris you know, Pine, you know, yeah. get two and of the Chris's right there. And then we yeah, are Dr. we are not doing we are not doing <laughs> the Indian man who becomes white when he's a superhuman, uh, <laughs> like that is a little too eugenic-y for me. Okay, uh, he could be colonial, you know. So. Uh-huh. I see. Anyway, moving along. My point is, and now it's, it's become the longest strange new take in podcast history. Um, <laughs> My point was only this. It's really weird watching Star Trek 2009 with Strange New Worlds on the TV. So to see the old Pike, to see the different Spock, and like to think Mm -hmm. about it. One thing that I'll 100% mention is that the dialogue now seems a little bit more stilted. And I think having Strange New Worlds, like beautiful balance of humor and action, it just... Star Trek 2009, which I used to think of, I still probably think of as one of the best Star Trek movies, now comes comes across to me as a little bit like, oh, wow, that's a little jarring sometimes to watch Chris Pine ham it up as Kirk. Um, hmm. So so I, I recommend He's going back. He's still a better and, Kirk than Paul Wesley, sorry. Paul Wesley. Well, we like, talked about oh, that last week, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, we yeah. Talked and, about and, Did you change and, your mind? And Paul Wesley actually also came on, uh, did an interview where he said that that is an imaginary Kirk who hasn't had the experiences the other Kirk has. So like, mm. a James C. Kirk on Strange New Worlds could be different the next time we see him. Oh, okay. So. Okay, well, I will, I will withhold judgment then. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let us move forward. Maybe we might return to this whole Paul Wesley thing in a second. 
We're gonna do something different today, which is we're gonna first of all we're recapping an entire season. Um, well, we've done that before, but the thing that's different, I think, is we're gonna start with our ratings. Um, unless I'm very surprised, uh, I think I can kind of predict sort of where we're gonna land with with this, and so I thought we'd start there and then kind of move on from that uh, as the context for our discussion. So, crew, which one of you wants to stick your neck out and give Strange New Worlds a rating for season one? I can go. Uh, so I was going to give it a nine, but since they killed Hemmer, I'm giving it a zero. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'll give it a nine. Uh, it was, yeah, it was just great. It was a lot of fun. Not like you said, great balance of uh, kind of humor and action that I think was done skillfully. Um, really nice story writing. I, e- even though the show has been kind of described as being not serialized, I don't think that's really true. I think it's they, they did a really nice job kind of tying the character story arcs and a little bit of plot together throughout the season. Um, so I just think it was, you know, super, super solid. <clears throat> uh, I guess I, I was just looking, so I'll, I'll go next. <laughs> Um, I, I struggled a little bit about whether I wanted to give this a perfect 10. And... I think I have to because it's it's season one of Star Trek, which is so difficult to nail, right? Like it's it's a new crew, it's a new cast. Like if this was season two, I think I would maybe give it like an even an eight point five or a nine. But I think for because it's a first season, for me it's a perfect ten. Um, everything just flowed so beautifully, which is so hard to do, especially when it's episodic. Um, that I think I think it deserves that perfect score. Do you want to go last or do you want to go next? Oh, it doesn't. I can go now. Okay. Um, I yeah, I was. I'm gonna give it a five out of five. Also, um, because like I was just thinking of the other first seasons. I wanted to like Discovery so much. Um, when it, you know, because I was so excited for New Track and, um, but there were just things about it that just kind of stuck in my craw when I was watching it. And, you know, I really, I liked Picard. I thought, you know, I thought Picard was was pretty good. But there were some things, same with that, you know, where I was kind of like, I don't know, I felt like it was undoing some of the things that I had loved about Star Trek. And I was just like, what, why, what is happening to this, this future that was imagined? You know, it was, and I know nothing is ever as perfect as we, as we imagined, of course, but um, Strange New Worlds has just scratched that itch. And I, was, I didn't mean to leave out Lower Decks and, uh, prodigy because actually i really did like prodigy as well and i would give it a pretty high mark for uh a first season as well but um there were just so many things about strange new takes that i liked i think it was really well cast um and uh i like the chemistry among the characters i like the stories that they told i felt like it was getting back to the star trek that i loved and i might have a massive crush on um anson mount but you know yeah, and I'll just bring bring up the uh, last last set of ratings from me. Um, I had a difficult time deciding between this and Lower Decks because I really like Lower Decks. I think it's it's transformational as as a format for Star Trek, and it it's um it has so much potential. Um, and I was trying to look at my ratings for the seasons of Lower Decks, the season review ratings. I couldn't find them, so I'm gonna. I can tell you what they are. Um, I don't know. You rated uh, the first season of Lower Decks a four out of five, and you rated the second season of Lower Decks. Well, you you weren't there for that episode, so that's probably why I couldn't figure it out. Um, 
So as as a, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is discovery was. Um, I mean, I think people know my feelings about discovery. I I didn't like it at all. I think um, it it wasn't really that great. I'm probably you know on on the lowest out of all the Star Treks. Um, but it was at a time where you know. You know things are not rosy right now, but it was at a time where people were really reaching for for uh, how to how to come out of difficult situations. You know the world was in a difficult place, and still is. But it was it was a new feeling then politically, uh, you know, medically. So they were trying really hard to, you know, get people have people get that phoenix rise from the fire kind of feeling, and it was it was a tough call, um, and maybe maybe. Discovery and its lack of success teed up strange new worlds for, you know, people getting a sigh of like, oh, this is so good, right? So, um, maybe there's a little bit of a recency bias there, um, in in finding something much better. Um, so I will give it, I'll give it, the standard, really, really good, but there's always room for better. Nine point nine seven five, warp speed. All right. Is that Voyager's top warp speed? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, as I said, I'm not surprised at at all um, by by these ratings. This was one of the best Star Treks we've ever, all of us have ever watched. I think we all agreed to that. And I think we should really just start our discussion with a quick aside about the intro and the sets. Because I think they they did play a big role. I think a bigger role in this series than I expected. Because I think they did keep the budgets on the show down by reusing a lot of the same sets. A lot of the action happened on board the ship. We had two episodes that took place almost exclusively on the bridge, for example. So um, I, I, I do think that maybe for this show, more than others, the the sets played a bigger role in setting the scene. But, but we can start initially with the intro because it's something that I find is very, very special about Strange New Worlds. I never skip it. Like yeah. it's, you know, my husband always wants to skip the intro. I'm like, you cannot skip the intro. I won't let him skip the intro on this or on Prodigy. <laughs> those, I just think they're those both very good. Those they're very, very good. Yeah, it's it's visually amazing. I love the music. Mm-hmm. Whenever I watch it, I just can't help but think like, what would um, Gene Roddenberry you know, think if he could have somehow seen that back in like 1965 or something? It's like mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Anson Mount takes a very different tack on, on the, you know, the opening narration as well. He doesn't do it like any of the others have previously gone through. He almost just reads the lines. He doesn't like give it kind of like, he doesn't try to like, yeah, he doesn't try to like imbue it with anything. It's, he's just basically saying it out loud to you. And I think that that's appropriate for the character here. Um, and I think it's also very strange how they go between kind of this very modern kind of soundtrack where it's like got a lot of emotional strings that it pulls the music like i get goosebumps while i'm watching it sometimes but at the very end it becomes very old school and sentimental with its little biwoo at the end where it kind of gives you that little twinge of like Mm -hmm. original tos style music so i i think it's a very beautifully um crafted piece of music as well that's that tees up the show beautifully Totally, and I like how it ends with that, you know, planetary alignment kind of gives a little bit of 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of vibe, so it's always nice. We do see a lot of strange new worlds within that intro as well. It's very Voyager-ish in that way. 
Yeah, it is. There's one one scene where there's like this orb that's kind of weirdly rotating, which gives me strong TOS vibes, like you know, like fantasy sci-fi kind of uh, 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 setup. So that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very reminiscent, I think, of the worlds from like '60s sci-fi books. Like you would see all of those pictures on a, on some paperback cover that's mm-hmm. like you know smells mm-hmm. like wilting paper. You know what I'm saying? In some old bookstore. Yeah. Um, moving on to the to the to the sets though, and I think we got to start with the design of the new Enterprise and how y'all feel about that, and then how how that leads into the interiors. Bill, you're a huge TOS fan, so. Were you like, no, they redesigned it. This doesn't look anything. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, I think they nailed it. I think it it looked great. And I'm I'm just not a um big canon person. I to be to be honest, I really don't care about well, I mean if they're like extreme canon violations, I guess that would kind of bug me, but I think as long as the guard has hair now. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, I've never, you know, I mean, I, th- I think there is like a kind of subset of hardcore fans who are really purists and would like, you know, if, if there was going to be more TOS content for the bridge to literally look like it did in the 60s, you know, I don't, I really don't care. Um, so I think it looks great. I think the uniforms look great. Um, and, you know, I guess they they have used the, um, what do you call it, AR wall? Uh, mm-hmm. technology for not for the bridge obviously but I think for engineering I think most of engineering is the AR wall and and maybe mm-hmm. some other sets on the bridge which I think is super cool and so, you know from the perspective of a viewer works flawlessly <clears throat> they did do the bridge very differently than Star Trek 2009 mm-hmm. it's a yeah. very different Enterprise bridge mm-hmm. yeah um, it's such a good um I feel like it's such a good homage to what we had in the original series without making it look dated in that same way. You know, like you just can't have the bridge look the way the bridge looked in the original series. It would look, yeah. it, it would just be laughable. Um, but I feel like they did such a nice job of pulling some of the design elements and, um, and imbuing the new design with that. Um, like some of the buttons that they have and, you know, so they, I just, I feel like they did a good job with that. And, you know, when you go look, speaking of 2009, oh my gosh, the, the cells are so dumb on the ship in 2009. Like they're just enormous and it looks so silly and they did such a good job with, um, in, with this redesign of the enterprise to make it look like it did in the sixties, but more to our kind of viewing sensibility i guess for lack of a better word yeah yeah i'm kind of missing adam on on this podcast and we would have got his take on the ship and and was it one that he would uh, love to crash right <laughs> so he has this desire to to crash uh, star trek ships um i think i mentioned in the first in the first episode that the the ship has a nice meaty um chunky design it's 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 you know you can you can visualize that there's actually people inside and it's not just like sleek um so that's nice i don't know emily you you mentioned the the nacelles in 2009 um that's that's a good point they they seem completely disproportionate the way i rationalized that when i saw 2009 was oh this maybe actually makes sense because to create a warp bubble those are the things that do it and if they're like itsy bitsy then 
<laughs> it doesn't make sense but yeah ship design is is unique and and i totally agree the balance in dated versus you know um new age production value that's a hard needle to thread and i think they did a really good job of that yeah i think the other element that i i want to call out is also the reuse of some of the sets um i, I, I that that they did in the um the aliens episode for example uh i was trying to remember the name of it but i can't anymore uh but it's it's those who wander not all yeah it's they, they 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 had that throwaway line like it's made out of constitution parts so it didn't matter that we were seeing the same kind of prefab sets. And I, I, I didn't mind that at all. I, I think the sets are so beautiful that it really worked the way that they were able to redress them at times to become different spaces. So I think their use of the sets is also something that I think was really kind of cool. Um, and so I I do hope that as we go further into new um uh, seasons of the show we do get some versatility but i didn't mind them reusing these and, and kind of the, the, the compact nature of this season i feel um so honestly i didn't know this uh and i felt like this had really good production value and and comparable to 2009 so whatever they were trying it it was really well done i, I didn't know that there was a lot of reuse and then i also feel like you know especially for the first season of, of any series, sci-fi, Star Trek, you want a really strong grounding of the characters that are going to take you through into the next season, especially since it's episodic. And that's the thing pulling you across multiple episodes and seasons as opposed to the story arc. So um, then you focus a lot more on that, not so much on the periphery, uh, or you don't, you don't get distracted towards the periphery that sometimes I was with Discovery when, when the character plots or, or sequences or talk tracks didn't make sense and then I used to feel like oh you know there's so much production effort put in here but it's not it, it the storyline isn't isn't matching or, or doing it justice so um, I think whatever they decided to put up front for you know financial reasons or getting the getting the, the, the audience connected to the characters was really nicely done and and hopefully they will they will expand as you said notch but even if they do for me even if they don't for me it doesn't doesn't really matter um because we won't be like struggling with oh that's the new starfleet academy which looks kind of empty or, or you know what's going on there because it doesn't matter it's it's all about the characters and, and the story so so it's it's yeah. it's nice Let's move on to that. Let's talk about our favorite and least favorite stories from the season. I think then we can use that to tee off into some discussions about characters and uh, maybe even talking about why this show uh, succeeded for us and where we rank it in the pantheon of Star Trek. So starting with our favorite episodes, I'm just going to jump in here. I don't really have a least favorite episode. I'll be quite honest with you. Like I thought they were all pretty great. So I don't, I don't want to pick one uh, for least favorite, but my favorite has to be Spockamock. It's just... It's a gorgeous, funny, hilarious look, irreverent look. I mean, like you get Laan screaming with Una at a at a turbo lift, and like that kind of stuff is just ridiculous. You have like Tapering and Spock trying it, like that scene where they're trying to figure out, oh no, we've we, we've switched bodies. Like it's two Vulcans trying not to switch, show emotion, even though they're both like panicking on the inside. Uh, so I I really love that episode, and I watched it again today. So um, my favorite. Um, go ahead. Sure. 
Um, yeah, I, I agree about least favorite, although I'm not going to cop out. I'll actually name an episode. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, but um, so I think um, uh, episode six, Lift Us for Suffering Cannot Reach. It's the little boy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such it's it's like a time honored Star Trek trope where you like meet the aliens and you think they're good. But of course, they're really bad. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, um, I mean, you know that immediately, you know, that's going to be the story, right? They're hiding some secret or whatever. And the way they handled like the reveal at the end with the little boy kind of, I guess, being the computer or something just struck me as being a little bit off, like, or like Pike's surprise or lack thereof about it was a little bit weird. So anyway, I still think it was a good episode. I think I wasn't on the pod that week, but I would have given it like a seven. Um, but I think that was the weakest one. And then for my favorite, I would either say Spock Amuck or Serene Squall. And Spock Amuck, I mean, that's just like a, that's going to be a classic episode. And Serene Squall, I mean, it was, I guess there were some problems with the plot if you think about it really hard, but I don't, I don't do that. So, or I try not to. So, I mean, I just loved like the pacing. Um, I loved who, what was the villain? Uh, Doctor or Angel. Yeah. I loved Angel. Dr. Aspen Angel. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I also loved the, like the way the love trial triangle progressed and, and the kiss with Chapel and Spock. I, I thought it was pretty emotionally laden and, and resonant. So um, I liked both of those a lot. <clears throat> so I had to laugh because um, what you picked as your least favorite episode is what I would have picked as my favorite episode. Though. <laughs> and here's the thing. So fight, lift fight, us were suffering, fight. lift us were suffering, cannot reach. I heard one of the best podcast episodes on Star Trek that I've ever heard in response to that episode. Um, and it was just the conversation that it sparked was deep and emotional. And, um, it, and it was, it was just a, I was like, this is the best episode this podcast has ever put out, you know, like, sorry, it wasn't ours, but, um, what? <laughs> I know, I know. I know. There are other <laughs> Star Trek podcasts, <laughs> but it was just, and, and that's kind of how I felt when I was watching it, you know, it just, it, it just gave me that feeling of this is why I watch Star Trek, you know? So it because it, is a jumping off point for, for good conversation. And, um, and I, um, I appreciated, um, you know, just seeing the ramifications of what happened, <clears throat> how they affected Pike. And I don't know, I just really, it, it just felt like a quintessential Star Trek episode. And so I just really liked that episode. Um, but I liked so much of the season, you know, again, you know, you're picking your favorite among your favorite. Um, my least favorite episode is partly because of my favorite episode, um, the Elysian Kingdom. And it was because I felt like they set something up in Lift Us for Suffering Cannot Reach that 100% did not get paid off in the Elysian Kingdom. And they, they gave us every reason to believe that it was going to be paid off. And it wasn't. It was just utterly ignored. And so that and, was really irritating to me. And Emily, <laughs> they did you, this. When, when you say that, what do you mean? Or like that? I mean the um, the doctor from the father of the child that was sacrificed. Um, he gave a bunch of information to Doctor Mbenga to help 
with his daughter and they did like nothing with it unless that was some of the experiments he was doing but he didn't even really touch on that like he didn't acknowledge at all what that doctor had given him and it was like and it it would have been so much more of an emotional payoff for me that this doctor who had lost his child despite everything that he had tried to do to save his child and going against his principles that had been taught to him in his society he went against that um, to try to save his child and was not able to save his child, but he could still help to save Dr. Mbenga's child. And it could have been such a beautiful way to pay that off. And they just, they just let it go. And so I was so dissatisfied with how they handled that part of the story that it just, it, that really put a damper on that episode for me. Yeah. And, and see here, um, for me, I, I maybe disagree with Notch in the uh, Mbenga daughter arc the the rukia arc i actually liked that um it, it showed a sense of vulnerability outside of um you know pike with his impending future and una with her secrets there's other people with vulnerabilities and and maybe they all interact in the future and it becomes really complex uh, it kind of connects with one of the, the episode i found um that is my most favorite so i also felt that they kind of they they it has something to do with Mbenga coming in the future season, I'm sure, because they were trying to give him a morality cleanse. They're like, oh, you can't hold this. You can't have a secret um, because we're we're going to use your higher moral standards in the future. So there, make your daughter uh, a nice, uh, you know, floating entity and, and she, she lives forever and all that stuff. So um, I'll come back to my favorite episode, the one that I... It's really hard, right? These are so good that, that it's really hard to pick the one that didn't really um, pull its weight as compared to the others. The one that was slightly behind, I felt, um, was actually Children of the Comet for me. Um, it was, it was, and it was not, it was not because of the who were focused. I liked that part, um, you know, away mission and all of that. Um, maybe I just didn't like uh, the aliens that were looking like Megamind's dad, right? <laughs> um, the the flight scenes were nice. I, I just felt that whole um, the plot in general with the all knowing uh, but fanatic aliens who were kind of silly as well didn't quite connect. Um, my favorite episode, um, again, really tough. Um, and I'm the kind of guy who likes action scenes, production value, all that fun stuff, and not so much um, the emotional side of things, as you know, my fellow podcasters, you may, you may, you may realize. Uh, but I really got touched by Ghosts of Illyria, and I did not expect to get touched. Um, you literally had um, at least two uh, layers or two characters suffering from... Um, I don't know if that's the one they introduce uh Rukia and they do right that's 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 the one where Ghost of Illyria yeah yeah, yeah that's the, that that's one. the vi where this that's you know that's the connect for me that's why I like the Rukia arc and then you have Uno with her um reveal which comes in a little bit later the episode keeps you guessing um for me um the the wispy aliens the the they, they weren't that uh, they weren't that well designed but I just felt it's set up for so much uh, so much strong um, uh, plot tracks in the future for Pike, for Una, even for Mbenga, which they unfortunately um, switched off with Rukia. Um, and it, it, it kind of showed how the crew kind of backs itself up, the relationships between the crew, 
uh, I really, really, I really, really like that episode, and I hope there's more like that in the future. It had a little bit of everything. It had that, uh, you know, TOS fantasy kind of, like, trope kind of feel. It had a little bit of science, character depth, uh, and the way Una ends it, I think I mentioned this in, in the recording of the podcast for this episode, it reminded me, it really made me introspect and kind of reminded me of In the Pool, mean, in, in the Pale Moonlight with, with Cisco. So, so... Um, I really like that and I hope they do more of those. All right. Well, we, I, I don't think any of us repeated any as like our favorite, which is kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I really like that. And we, there's a lot of things that we haven't yet even mentioned, like the Gorn, for example. I don't think we've even touched on them yet directly. So like, there's a lot more strange new takes, to, uh, strange new worlds to discuss. Uh, I guess it would have also been appropriate for me strange new takes to discuss. But uh, anyway, let's take a break here. We'll come back, talk about characters and uh, storylines. These people, this crew, I believe we can do anything. You want to seek out new life? Go where the aliens are. I have about a year before I have to make the choice, but I still don't know what I'm going to do. It's very troubling. Keeps me awake at night. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get back to Strange New Worlds. So we've been talking about kind of our favorite pieces of this show. We've been talking about some of the static pieces. I think one of the things that really made this show come alive is that right from the beginning, the world seemed very lived in and the characters seemed uh, to be ones that we wanted to get to know but also there was I, at least for me there was a sense that i knew them already which is really strange to think about how I, they don't seem kind of um strange i guess <laughs> to, to us so let's talk about the regular characters for a second let's let's go keep going with the like favorite format and maybe that's the way we can kind of discuss them i think one character that we've maybe said enough about uh, already is pike throughout our episodes we've kind of waxed lyrical about pike i think the only thing that i'll I'll highlight about him is something i mentioned last episode which is that anson mount mentions that he thinks pike's core quality is having heart whereas you know you had picard having his intellectualism kirk is kind of a man of action janeway has um perhaps this uh kind of crew uh like let's get him home instinct and uh, so, so there are these qualities that each captain has, and Pike's he thinks is heart, and I think that really came through really beautifully. Imagine if Janeway had the Captain Deep Space Nine; that would have been a total failure. We need to get the space station home. <laughs> I, I, something tells me that Janeway and Pike would really dislike one another. I think they have very different captaining styles, and Janeway would just be like, "Who? What is wrong with you? Just." Stop being dad. Like, let's just like get on. I was with just it. gonna say that Captain Pike and Captain Jane would be like the mom and dad of this of this ship because <laughs> one has dad qualities and the other one kind of has mom qualities. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, who? L- let's take Pike out of the picture because that's a really easy one. 
Who are your other favorite characters in the show? And Captain Pike's hair. No, sorry, that's another good character point. in the show, the, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, lot of. I think Sentient. a lot of potential for future seasons. That character. I was gonna vote that we should let Emily talk about Pike. She, 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 she should, she should be given that that exception. Um, I, I want, I'm gonna quickly jump in because I didn't cover this in my favorite episode um, uh, part, but I like these mini arcs. There was this Rokia arc. I like the Tapring arc. I, I want to see so much more of Tapring, and this has nothing to do with me really wanting more Indians in in Star Trek. But um, you know the way she comes in and and acts. Um, so as a non-primary character, I just want to call out uh, Tapring and and the dynamic that she has with with Spock and now with uh, with Nurse Chapel as well. Um, outside of that, I love our our Doctor. Um, I just uh, you know love that he is they've got a, a a character who has you know a good um authentic non-american accent and, and he's got like a background story and again they close that out but that was nice to see and he's gonna play an important role um uh, throughout the throughout the series um, yeah so those are my general favorites so let, let's I, I think let's stick to kind of the regulars for a second and then let's try to let's try to go in depth a little bit when someone calls one out if that's okay yeah because i want to i want to explore them a little bit more in detail so should we just stick with like mbenga maybe yep. and talk a little bit more since rudy named him yeah yeah so so i just watched mbenga one of the more strange things about mbenga was his portrayal in Spockamock, where they kind of make fun of his hat for a second. They reference some like other lady doctor that he's going to meet. But then the only thing that they actually show him doing in the episode is slowly pulling back his like fishing rod and sending it into the water. Uh, and I, I don't really know what I was supposed to take away from that other than that he's like a really relaxed fishing lover. But, um, but generally speaking, I think he's, this is a great example of something else. Strange New Worlds is tried to do throughout the season just take something small from TOS and really give it a lot of depth yeah mm-hmm. outside yeah. of outside of Chekhov and maybe Zulu are there other primary characters who have not you know ethnicity and visual ethnicity aside like have had not had strong American accents um well Scotty <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's like the worst worst Scottish accent ever. I don't know if that counts. But he was Canadian. Lon so. too. Lon yeah. too. Um, Lon and like I I think. But you're I right. Like that. besides besides American, there's other English and accents Brit- and the, British yeah. accents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, there have been fewer characters that we've got whose accents were kind of out of the norm for maybe Troy. Um, yeah. But you know, she kind of had it. She kind of tried to yeah. do it. She kind of modeled her accent after kind of more Mediterranean Greek kind of a little bit. Yeah. She was trying to disguise her because she's she's from Manchester, isn't she? I feel yeah. She has yeah. Like an and accent. so her accent yeah. is very different. Although the longer she, the movie, she sounds more like herself than she does in the TV show. She definitely tried to give. She was trying to have an otherworldly kind of accent, you know, and how she was doing that so the mbenga in the original series is like you know played by some guy from like cincinnati or something you know so 
Um, so Rudy, your point about like actually having an African actor to play the African character is just better casting and more believable. Well, he, like his accent is not, he has, his accent is not as strong in real life. He, he made it stronger for the show uh-huh. than when you hear interviews with him, but he, he was, I think he was born in Nigeria, but he's lived in yeah. lots of different countries. So, um, so I think that's probably part of why his accent is not, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's a little flatter than, than the way it is on the show. It's a lot stronger on the show. And I think the other thing, so, so we're talking about Babs Olasan Mokun here as the actor. I think something that he imbues in Mbenga with is this sense of kind of compassion and empathy throughout, mm-hmm. but also strength um, within those. Like sometimes we have doctors who like, I would say the doctor from Voyager is a good example where he doesn't come off as someone who's got a lot of mental strength. I mean, he's essentially like a, a teenager, right? Like he's trying to figure mm-hmm. out who he is. So that's mm-hmm. not who he is with bones mccoy we get kind of the strength but maybe a little bit he's a crankier type of person i think mbenga has this really wonderful quality of where you where you can see him being a compassionate doctor but when it when someone pushes his boundaries he sticks to them and he says back off mm-hmm. uh, and i really like that the way his portrayal showed that you know i would say he and and beverly crusher probably have more similar kind of just the compassion comes through in every like that's kind of the overarching characteristic of how they operate as a doctor um rather than arrogance like like bashir has that arrogance the doctor on um actually i i would say bones also bones the doctor on voyager and bashir all kind of have an arrogance about them um and uh um mbenga and Crusher have more of that compassion. Fox probably has that compassion too. I was trying to think about the just the different doctors and the different characteristics they. I think Flox is a good comparison because there's something about the way Mbenga speaks, and and maybe it's because he had an emotional side plot, and that's why it came out more the compassion. There's like a sense of depth and maturity and weight to it. Like there's certain people mm-hmm. when you speak to or you listen to them, um, in, on media or even in real life. There's there's a draw, and I think he has that draw. So in in terms of general maturity across the entire crew, uh, I'm not saying the others are immature, but they're they're much more like decisive, quick, snippy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Benga has that depth, and there's yeah. there's there's compassion to that depth, and and yeah, it just comes out really nice. Final thing I'll say about Benga before we move on is that I'm glad that the daughter angle was removed as a storyline I, no. I was not looking forward to it personally i think i mentioned it before but i think <laughs> i think it's just something that we've um i don't know i it just seemed out of step with the rest of the show like it, it's like this in star trek 2009 why was george kirk's wife on this ship like it's it, you don't see any other civilians on that ship except his wife and it's like again you, you know it's just I, I don't know i i just wasn't able to kind of make sense of Rukia's presence on board the Enterprise. Uh, and it, it never quite fit as a storyline for me. It, it also like didn't make any sense that <clears throat> they would be able to just keep her alive in the transporter buffer. Like, if you could do that, it would be done a lot. You know, <laughs> like, there were a lot of people who would be suspended in the transporter buffer, you know, on their deathbeds or whatever. <clears throat> so, okay. What... Um, Bill, what's 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 your choice for I, favorite? So, can I go in a, a little bit of a 
different directions. So, so I liked all of the characters. I thought they were all utilized pretty well, except for Una. I think they didn't. This is actually probably my biggest critique of, of season one of the show. I think they just didn't really utilize her or develop her a lot. They they tried with this Illyrian thing that still, ha for me, it still hasn't really. I mean, I guess that was a setup so that she could, you know, get arrested at the end of the season, which is going to tee up something, you know, for season two. So maybe there will be payoff in season two on that. And then I feel like the the. The way they presented the character, she's supposed to be kind of this like hard ass first officer, um, but they never show her being like that. She's actually yeah. just mostly really nice, you know. So, so it's like, yeah, well, yeah. where does that reputation come from? It, I, I, it, you know, it's like, you know, show don't tell. They, they didn't. They didn't really show, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think I think they have some some work to do with Una. <clears throat> well, and they could have. I felt like they they when they made that line about the where fun goes to die, right? I would attribute that more to uh, Laan than I would to Una. Right. But yeah. they kind of made it like the two of them were both that, you know. Anyway. I, I was just gonna say you remind me of one more thing that I liked about Ghost of Illyria was that's the one episode they try to focus on her and they show her doing stuff like they show her strength both emotional leadership and physical like i don't know who she carries on her shoulder but she's carrying somebody on her shoulder um yeah so so yeah i hope they do more with that yeah i just don't think there was enough time given the twists that they gave her like we didn't get you know if if we, if we had maintained her as a regular character and given her a plot element that didn't require us to kind of get uh, uh, like a it was a hard lift let's put it that way with the whole Illyrian <laughs> thing so yeah 100% agreed with you Bill I think I'm gonna I'm gonna call out um, Nurse Chapel as one of my favorites who didn't get a ton of time but I think the time that she got I think she maximized with like just the scenes with Spock are so meaningful we even get a little bit of a view into her own personal life with Lieutenant Dever um we see how she's able to respond in a in a stressful situation in the in the uh, aliens episode, and so it's I really liked what Jess Bush did with with Nurse Chapel, and again, given the starting point from TOS and how single noted the character was in that show, um, what they've been able to do with her portrayal in this show is really brilliant. No comment. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right. I I think what one the way I look at it, one way to look at it is she was the most relatable across all the characters to how people are in present day in in real life. Maybe, um, uh, you know, fun, interesting. Not sure of what they want to do. They did that a little bit with Uhura as well, but um, the others seem like characters that could exist. You know, people that could exist 100, 150, 200 years ago um, with Nurse Chapel. There's a sense of greater relatability, I think. Um, it could be somebody you know um, in your friend circle or at work or something like that. So that was nice. Yeah. It, so she's <clears throat> probably the biggest departure from the um, original series mm -hmm. car incarnation of, of the character. Um, but they actually, and as the season develops, I, I think... Um, 
they, they do this more, they actually strike a pretty good balance between bringing in some elements of that character. And to, to be honest, you guys, there's not a lot to work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's mostly defined by her like, crush on Spock. Um, and yeah. but, but they incorporate that and they do it in a really, um, you know, really effective way. I think it's really like threading a needle. Um, and I'm very impressed that they were able to, to pull it off. I mean, well, they just I, I once fucked to end up with her, and it's really tragic that he's never I know. going to. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's like, it's so, they, they just, like, let's just be honest. They didn't know how to write women um, characters in the original series at all. Like, um, so it's exciting to see them take two of the main female characters in TOS and give them some meat, you know, and, 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 and give the actors something to work with. And, um, so that's, you know, that it's kind of, they kind of have their work cut out for them because there, there wasn't a whole lot to go off of what they gave those two characters in the original series. And so it's kind of fun to see what they come up with. Um, so you all said, I'm not allowed to pick Captain Pike. No, so, we've, we've talked about Pike too much already. <laughs> no, you know this is this is probably not one that most people would um, think of, but it's actually I like this character and I want them to do more with the character, and that would be Ortegas. I mm. I I like her. Like I just she just is enjoyable. I I tend to like the the what she brings, like the kind of feeling she brings to scenes, whatever. I I feel like there's maybe a big brother kid sister vibe going on between pike and her or something there's some there's some i want to find out what mm -hmm. their relationship is like or or what their background is because they're just i don't know i just feel like they like there's they, there's some history there and i don't know what it is um but i want to see more of her so that's i don't know that that would be necessarily a favorite character but i i just find myself wanting more and i hope they give us that next season i think Bill, you're, what you said about Una, I think is very applicable as far as I'm concerned to Ortega's, where we really don't find out much about her character. Her most, like, like the moment she really gets to shine is in a quality of mercy, and we see an alternate universe version of her, basically, for all intents and purposes. So it's not really the real Ortega's. Mm -hmm. Um, she has well, some I found myself wondering the whole time what happened. Like something happened in these seven years to make her angry, but it's just that yeah. they were making her play the the Styles. bigoted guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So uh, Nurse Chapel asked her for too much personal advice, and she snapped. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the, yeah, the, her other contributions are basically you know to to kind of as the buddy character to uh, Hura to Nurse Chapel, and so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Emily. I want to see more of mm -hmm. her, and I want to see her relationship to characters with in terms of what they contribute to her life rather than her advising them. Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. see how, like... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Bill. You were going to say I, I was just going to say, I th for me, the I, I totally agree with what you guys have been saying, and Ortegas just didn't get that much screen time this season, mm -hmm. and I think that's... I mean, what what we saw of her, I really liked. Um, but I, but they just didn't use her that much. And so hopefully we get a good Ortegas episode next season. Mm -hmm. and, and if you guys notice, um, while Ortegas didn't get scream time, I totally agree with you. Not she, she, she was the kind of, actually, she's another character that you, you, I found would be very easy to befriend, right? Like she was never front and center, but you remember her, you remember her smiling. Yeah. You don't maybe necessarily remember particular elongated scenes, but 
she was always there and, and this is what i think strange new worlds has done really well where even though a character is in the periphery they're not like oh that person um you know what were they doing i just like to know more about them i mean we'd like to know more about rotegas but they're in memory and and that's good right like they yeah. they're they're memorable and you, you look forward to seeing them more as opposed to maybe again comparison discovery where you, you struggle to get people into the forefront uh, at times and and that that becomes really hard i think the one character maybe that is fails a little bit in terms of getting their time on the show let alone getting the um exposition about them is hammer um mm. hammer i think not only i mean there are a lot of episodes he just isn't in uh, at yeah. all and i mean bruce haraka said that he was basically told that hammer is going to die at the end of the season and so his primary contributions are in his relationship with Ahura, pretty much mm-hmm. in every episode that he's in, uh, with maybe the exception of the Elysian Kingdom, he's primarily interacting with Ahura, and then he dies. That's his contribution to the show. Um, so it's kind of then pretty stunning that his death has the impact that it does, that we are so upset to see him go. So, you know, that just has me thinking... The first, I mean, they kind of highlight that there's going to, they kind of foreshadow that there's going to be some sort of relationship or uh, rapport between Uhura and Hemmer in that first episode um, when he's kind of teasing her about, you know, when, when he's cooking and uh, he and Spock are kind of hazing her a little bit. Um, and then they kind of develop it throughout the season. He is the catalyst for her staying in Starfleet, I think. And so that... Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, that's what they used him for. They fridged him. Um, but, uh, but you know, like, I mean, it's almost, mm-hmm. it almost feels like that because the primary interactions that his character had were with Uhura and it's after his death that she changes direction and decides that she actually probably does want to stay with Starfleet. Just very quickly. What did y'all feel about Uhura since we haven't gotten to her? Um, you know, I, I totally agree, like, his death is, is a catalyst, but did she kind of meet the the Uhura that we, the standards that we set for the Uhura that we know with Michelle Nichols and all of that? Um, was that at par? Was that better than expected? For me, I'm not so sure. Maybe I'm leaning towards a little subpar because it was so centered on Hammer and, and then the only other thing was the Comet situation. Uh, what do you all think? You know, I think I felt like we kind of got a glimpse. She played Uhura differently in the last episode of the season than she had for the rest of the season. So I feel like she was she as the you know as an actor definitely was making different choices in how she played the character when we were seeing Uhura in the timeline that we're used to seeing Uhura in. Right, we're used to seeing Uhura, Uhura in that seven years after you know um so i found that i found that interesting and i could kind of see that she was trying to pull um inspiration from how michelle nichols played it but without throwing herself across the bridge that way that I, th- I think yeah that was uh, i'm watching balance of terror and watching michelle nichols i watched go, it this ah! morning <laughs> it was just like hilarious but anyway um i i think she played someone who is young but again like Mbenga has a source of strength. So that kind of 
balance is someone who's growing into someone who's more powerful. I think I think that was it, it was portrayed beautifully. Um, and I think the other thing that um, that Celia Rose Gooding brought to this character was a a sense of almost a blank canvas, so uh, of growth uh, as the season went on, um, of internal conflict. Uh, with with her decision to stay, stay in Starfleet, all of that was very believable to me, and I wasn't like, "Ah, who's this cadet?" Like a lot of the other cadets that they've shown in Starfleet have been so like single note, like, "Okay, this is the annoying frat bro cadet. That's the one who's like his best friend, who like is nervous, but like kind of is supposed to be the conscience." You know, like every time we've seen cadets previously in Star Trek, it's it's not ended well. So I was a little bit nervous seeing a cadet, to be perfectly honest with you, but I think Celia Rose Gooding did a great job of showing her as someone who's young, but clearly has the potential to grow into the Uhura that we know on the other shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I thought she was um, well done, great acting, likable character. My, my only quibble is that they, they had to make her into a prodigy. Like every cadet or every yeah, young character yeah. has to be a prodigy. It's like, okay, fine, make her a prodigy. But like, I don't know. It's I, I think it's kind of played out. <clears throat> the tricky part is the undecided prodigy, right? Like, so when Nachi were saying the people didn't think, uh, who's this cadet? I'm sure there were like 7,000 other cadets or potential cadets who were like, uh, who's this person who kind of got in one in 7,000? Those are the odds, right? To get into Starfleet Academy. Or something like that, and and then it's sure that she wants to stay. So, that's a little uphanded, but you know that's that's I guess that there are people like that. Uh, the other thing that they may they I hope they touch on in the next season, is those those linguistic skills, right? Like we saw that in Uhura two thousand uh, two thousand nine, uh, we see that with Hoshi Sato in the Enterprise series. Um, that is some of the cool cutting edge stuff that I really think they should get into much much more in the next season. Yeah. Let's let's also give a quick shout out to Lan. I think Christina Chang really got uh, a character that was um, uh, Christina Chong, by the way. My my apologies, mispronouncing her name, but she she really got a character that was very one note in its creation. This is a tough as nails person who was scarred by the Gorn, and I think it's very easy to portray that character in a very single noted way but i think we did get some complexity you know in, in quality of mercy we got to see mm-hmm. her kind of smile with and her be, hair down <laughs> yeah literally with her hair yeah. down we got to see her grow as someone who's compassionate towards that young girl in and the aliens episode and then we also got, I, I really enjoyed christina chong's portrayal in the elysian kingdom watching yeah. her as this like aristocratic lady yeah. as like a revelation she's such a great actress so yeah. i'm really excited for what they're going to do with lan in the future i mean she's kind of like the the in terms of background and all of that right the tasha yar of strange new worlds um a little bit of uh, kamina drummer as well from the expanse mm-hmm. if you if you know mm-hmm. who that is I, so. I thought that's who it was the very first episode i was like is that who that is <laughs> her voice isn't quite right but <laughs> so um i'm gonna try to do a segue for you notch here so um it i i agree that like she works so well and they do add a lot more depth um that really makes her likable um and it's really interesting for me to contrast with Michael Burnham, because on paper, they're both like really not likable. 
right? Which is like a big risk as a writer. It's like, oh, I'm going to invent this character and they're like boring and they're not fun to hang out with. And, you know, <laughs> um, and it, it takes a lot of like nuance and good writing and acting to kind of pull that off and actually still make them likable. So they do that with, um, with Laan, I think quite effectively. And with Burnham, for me, it just doesn't, you know, it, 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 they haven't done it, you know, and I, I can't really articulate why. I think it's it comes down to the writing. But with Lon, I think they do, yeah. So so I, I see what you're doing, and but we have one problem. We haven't talked about Spock. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, let, let's let's use Spock as the as the segue, which is the the question here becomes, why is Strange New World so effective, whereas other shows are not? And on paper, it's really hard. Like, you're bringing Spock back? Like, how is that going to work? Like, that is so difficult a uh, an ask. Like, you look at Picard and what they've done and how upset people have been about how they've brought back Picard and what they've done with that character. Um, and instead here, we still get a successful portrayal of Spock. Um, Y'all, uh, in a previous episode of this podcast, nominated Ethan Peck's Spock as the best Spock uh, out of the lot compared to uh, um, other than maybe Leonard Nimoy. So um, I, I think part of that is, again, getting to see a little bit more of an inexperienced Spock who's not who can't control his emotions as much. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of like Spider-Man, right? Change like how many people are going to play Spock? Uh, you, you keep changing Spider-Man and then there's, there's, there's concerns and worries and expectations. Um, I, I won't go too much into comparing him with the previous box. Um, again, I just, he, he just nails a sort of a balance that I can't put my finger on in b between logic and, and difficulties with emotion. Um, the, the entire package is, is, is very believable and you feel comfortable with Spock. You don't. You don't, you're not trying to wrestle with like, oh, there was this other Spock and then this third Spock and, and this is not the Spock that, that I want to see or how good is he as compared to um, the original Spock. It just sort of, it, it flows, it flowed for me. It, it felt very natural and, and believable and I didn't have any difficulties. They kind of helped him out a bit though by having it be an, a younger Spock than what we're used to seeing. Um, and even just the just little things they've done to make his look a little different. His hair is a little... A little ruffled and 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 you notice that difference starkly in a quality of mercy because his hair is totally the straight all every single strand in place um in the future version of future version of spock um and so that was kind of that kind of they they gave spock some breathing room by having it set a few years before um and you and you're able to see i thought one of the good things they did with quality of mercy was kind of laying out uh, some of what made this relationship between Pike and Spock so important to to um, Spock, and um, and so I appreciated that about it. And and Ethan Peck just has a great voice too, which I think yeah. that he kind of gives Spock Spock that you know gravitas, I guess, for lack of a better word. I mean, the most important character in Star Trek, right, in terms of uh, maintaining peace in the in the galaxy, has to be um, after. Not O'Reilly, after O'Brien, if you all remember from Lower Decks. Yeah, the most important person in all of Starfleet history. So so what what is it about Strange New Worlds that makes it such an effective show? And do you think it's the best Star Trek ever? Well, I, 
I have a, a simple observation here, which is that through uh, the Star Trek portfolio of shows, they have an opportunity to basically do like soft launches, right? Or to like test, to do like, you know, audience testing with different characters and potential crews. And so, you know, they, through Discovery, lots of characters have cycled through. Uh, most of them we don't remember. Um, an uh, interesting comparator is maybe uh, Michelle Yeoh's character. Um, so Captain Giorgio, who like they tried to float doing this Section 31 show, maybe it will end up happening someday. And I think, you know, I mean, I'd watch that and maybe it'll turn out to be really good, but I'm not clamoring for it. But in season two of Discovery, they brought these, you know, characters forward, at least the three main ones. Right. And it just worked. Mm -hmm. Right. So they kind of, so, you know, it's kind of a no brainer to pick up a series, right. Or to do a spinoff with it. And I think the cards were stacked in their favor just because they were able to basically demo <laughs> these characters and, and these actors in a different show and, and verify that there was potential. And, but I, so I, yeah, just okay. la la last thing. And, you know, if they were going to do that again, you know, uh, you know, C Captain Rios, just have the time cops bring him back. And first officer seven, you know, put them mm -hmm. in the uh, Delta Qu or Gamma Quadrant or something, you know, rebuilding after the whatever. It'll be, you know, that's a winner, I think. Sorry, Nacho, that, go ahead. Uh, the, the top article right now on our Star Trek is Jason Isaacs has talked about returning as Prime Lorca in Strange mm -hmm. New Worlds. So you don't, you don't want that, Bill? Uh, that character. Oh, I'd love to see. Uh, I would Jason Isaacs is awesome. I'd love to see yeah. more Lorca. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think the other thing, Bill, that you mentioned is that this show has a great anchor. The Pike character, I mean, Anson Mount, we've waxed lyrical about just how good he is in this role. And I think it's hard when you have that anchor character that all the other characters are relating to and playing off of. It's hard to screw that up. And I think it's the 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 tragedy of Pike's story is something that is very compelling as well. So you really have this great actor you, who's playing this great anchor and they have this great story that's taking them through episode to episode that we can all focus on and have an emotional <laughs> reaction to. So I think that's another key piece of, of this that um, I think hasn't been present. Like this is a good, good example. This is how Burnham fall flat in Discovery and even Picard to an extent the tra manufactured tragedy of the later Picard life just doesn't, it doesn't connect with us as much as watching Pike's future hurdle towards him. Yeah. I think, I think one of the benefits though, is we don't know as much about Pike as we do about Kirk and Picard and all these other big hitting captains. So there is some canvas to, to tap into these emotions and, and kind of develop them across multiple episodes and multiple seasons uh, and they've done a great job off it. Um, yeah, I think I think the difficulty with Picard is like that. There's such high expectations, and 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 we already know so much about the character, the actor, all of that. So then, then we all become very uh, very difficult judges. Which is exactly what happened when they brought Kirk back, right? I think, mm. I think maybe that's another quality that you're talking about, Rudy, is that while they're doing a lot of callbacks, they have this place that they can touch on a lot of TOS stuff, but they don't have to deal with kind of the heaviest uh, pieces of it. 
they have chosen to with Uhura and Spock, but but they can avoid a little bit of the minefield uh, with with where they're placed in the universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. I but you know on the other hand, with Discovery, they had a blank slate with basically all the characters and still fumbled it. I mean, I I blame this all on like Brian Fuller. I've said this before. You know, I think that he basically just. <laughs> gave them a disaster and then you know he got fired and everything since then has been trying to like clean it up um and make it somewhat watchable but yeah i mean burnham was a totally blank slate with none of that kind of history and they still blew it (laughs) well i i uh but i think i think you again touched on another thing which is the format um, I think Strange New Worlds is, is taken really stock of this as like a show which is going to be about exploration, but it's also going to have this, it's going to go back somewhat to this episodic format, but it still has these kind of long character arcs that stretch through the entire season. So, I mean, you can't pick up and watch any episode, but there is some value to watching them all in order, 10 episodes that a stretch. Um, but the previously on Star Trek isn't super important. I also want to say um, that as as a series that is uh, not only putting faith in... in the heart. Faith of the heart. <laughs> I beat you to it. <laughs> <laughs> you did, you did. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, let me let me not use the word faith, but putting, putting <laughs> trust. I hope that doesn't trigger anything else. But uh, trust back into so many Star Trek fans who've been waiting for a couple of decades for a good, you know... Um, so there's some good anime in, in LDS and in Prodigy, but a good, good real show on Star Trek. Outside of that, I think the episodic format also allows for m- many more new people to be introduced to Star Trek, right? Uh, without having to worry too much about, um, you know, knowing the past and knowing the connects and all of that. So, so um, I guess Discovery had that too, but again, they tried to do so much uh, and there were all these like, you know, world or universe ending kind of things. The episodic format keeps it simple. You can bring somebody in at any point in time, I feel. Um, yeah, so so that's nice. I, I think this show is do- much more than a show itself that's that's g- well written and well shot and well presented. I think it's doing a lot for um, building a resurgent uh, fan following around Star Trek and expanding that fan base. Let's, let's touch on the writing for a minute, because I think that's another piece that is so critical in this, that they've written the show without the kind of bullcrap exposition that we've seen in some other Star Treks recently, <laughs> Discovery. It's like, it just, the, the format flows. We don't have our characters taking talk breaks to explain what's happening or to like talk about their feelings. It's all everyday, like the, the writers are trusting the actors to just portray the emotions. Um, a really great example of this is the dialogue between Spock, Chapel, and T'Pring in um, the episode with with Doctor Aspen. I forget the name of it now, but like basically Serene where Squall. the Serene Squall, where they're all saying exactly the opposite of what they're actually meaning, and we see it on the screen. Um, in Discovery, there would be like a therapy scene later where all of them are talking to the therapist and saying, actually, I meant just the opposite. Or like someone confronts them and says like, did you mean just the opposite? Or like, you know, something like that. Or the, the scene with Spock and Dr. Aspen, right? Where they're talking about kind of having dual identities. And in Discovery, yes. they would have just said like, 
oh, and you know, I'm gender non-binary. So, and I'm relating that Spock, you see to your, <laughs> um, yeah, but they did, yeah. you know, they were much more subtle, not that subtle, <laughs> you know, but relative to kind of the exposition that you see in, in discovery. <clears throat> so, so, okay. Given all of this now, do y'all place this as the top Star Trek ever? Never. <laughs> um, that, that's that's that requires us to wrestle with stuff that we've grown up with that we have in this nice little hall of fame and you know um, that's gonna be hard I think we will only truly be able to make that assessment you can you can talk about you know best first season ever and you can start those conversations now but as as a series um, you will need time you will need to go because you can have highs and lows and 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 the four that um, or the three that really defined Star Trek, right? Uh, TNG, DS9, and Voyager. Um, you know, they have they have good continuity across multiple seasons. I mean, DS9, like, just goes so many wonderful places as the show, uh, you know, moves through the various seasons, um, does, does stuff that no other Star Trek has done. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Um, it's, it's the best Star Trek ever in a couple of decades right more or less yeah but is it better than enterprise i think it is like i i hated enterprise after watching it because it was in close proximity to the two before right Uh, um uh, or the three before but but then i loved it watching it like a decade later and maybe around discovery (laughs) um but but i think this is better than enterprise on average yeah, you know I, it's so. Oh, I go go ahead, Emily. Oh, I was I was gonna say it's it's in some ways it almost feels like comparing apples and oranges because of the. I think it's def it, you it, we would probably be safer to say that it could it's the best new Star Trek. Um, I would be more apt to say that, but looking at all of Star Trek, it's so hard to compare it because they were just written in such different times. There are so many filler episodes in the Star Trek from the 80s and 90s because of how how t- television series were made, right? Um, and they're just, that's not, you really aren't going to have filler yeah. episodes in these tight kind of seasons that you have. And so that gives it a different feel as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like if you took the 10 best episodes from any season from 90s Trek or TOS for that matter, how would that compare? I But I'm trying to, you know, I'll just answer the question as it was asked i mean it for me if i would say it's on par with tng or ds9 you know i I don't know if i'd say it's better but i would say it's on par and if you just compare the first season it's the best for sure i think unquestionably yeah yeah i think i think it has the potential to be the best star trek ever created in my opinion Uh, i think i think I think we have a complete package here. And even if we just go on peak performance where we take the best 10 episodes of every season of TNG or whatever, I think we have the potential to finish seven seasons of Strange New Worlds. And I think especially the, how they stick the landing is really going to define it. Does Pike avoid his fate? Do we feel good about that? Does he go into what we see him go... What, what happens to these characters? Like, I really kind of want them to hit seven seasons and be like, okay, now it's going to be... T- forward 10 years and then we come back and revisit all these people maybe um i don't know i i am we'll see so i'm i'm really with bill where i i feel very good putting this 
at the very tippy top even now but uh i'm i'm also like the rest of you are saying i it could go horribly wrong as well and there were format constraints from back in the day that make the comparison difficult you know exactly so you know what's the best way to really see if this is the best one so far you guys have to name your second best that's the hard part that's when you really put it on the table and say it is better than that one which is also really good so are you willing to do that now today that's the hard part for me rather yeah. because even if i look at the first season tng is so formative for me as a kid growing up it's it's so hard it it's it's like apples and oranges like emily said i okay this is going to be really controversial but i'm just going to jump <laughs> in here my favorite star trek as a whole is the star trek 2009 reboot series of movies i think they, even with into darkness in there I, it doesn't like dragon 2009 and beyond are so good no i i do really like those that it's it's hard for me not to like like there's still things even in tng where i'm like oh this is old or whatever like i I loved Voyager. I, I grew up with Voyager, but the writing these days, I just, I have so many issues with, so stripping away the sentimentality, I think I, I'll go with the controversial take that like Star Trek Beyond, for example, is just unbelievable. Um, so the work that they had done on that reboot series probably puts it over the top for me. Um, and I think second best. I think it's best... how we got the new Star Trek is because of the 2009. Yes. So. And I would say like, Again, it's hard to say how this is going to go, but second best might have to be actually like, I mean, it's hard to not pick TNG, right? Like but you, when you're picking TNG, you're picking seasons three, four, five, and six and seven <laughs> of TNG. Like, let's be honest here. So we're, we're judging it based on the end, but judging it just on the beginning, like Prodigy is so good. I'm enjoying Prodigy so much. Like, so, so I'll, I'll be controversial and pick those two. Uh, and I know we're, we're we're really this is going to be becoming a long podcast, but here's another thing: I need a Garrick or an EMH kind of character to really define a good series, and they're also good here, but they're not comparing to Garrick yet or the EMH. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if we if we have somebody like that who really pulls the show for me. Out, you know, acting characters outside of Star Trek, outside of sci-fi, some really interesting stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, next week, we're going to try to put together some us for uh, Mr. Kurtzman uh, and, oh. and try to try to try to talk a little bit. Maybe we can continue this discussion about like the continuum of Star Trek and like what's worked, what's not. What do we want to see next? Uh, and maybe, maybe, you know, given that we know all of the showrunners and creators personally, we can have them actually create our favorite, uh, you know, uh, our, our like what we think Star Trek should be. Right, guys? Uh, yeah. You guys have Alex Gersman's cell phone number. We can text him. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hey, Emily, my kid's yeah. been on the um, one of the Roddenberry podcasts. So Woo-hoo. there you go. All right. We need to see Dietrich to, to give uh, Roddenberry Jr. a call, and then we're all set. Um, all right. Well. Emily, Bill, Rudy, thank you for coming on and discussing Strange New World season one with me. Thanks, Very much appreciated. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, Nudge. And thank you, Adam, Max, and Diana, for all of your contributions to this podcast in the past. Hope you're having a great time wherever you are. And thank you, Jishin Guha, for recording our theme music. We always appreciate you strumming away at the guitar. 
Uh, thank you also to you, dear listener, for making us a part of your week. We always appreciate you coming back and listening to our episodes. Hope you enjoy the next one as well. And then special thanks this week to everyone behind Strange New Worlds, like a sincere one. Like, this was great. Uh, we want 30 episodes per season after that, otherwise we're going to be disappointed from now on. So, there you go. <laughs> All right, see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.